For the homily this morning, I want to do a little something different than I've ever done before. This is such a familiar story to all of us that it occurred to me that we could engage it in a way that St. Ignatius of Loyola taught people to do. St. Ignatius of Loyola lived at the end of the 1400s and the start of the 1500s. And he is credited with being a co-founder of the Society of Jesus, which we know as the Jesuits. St. Ignatius wrote a book called Spiritual Practices, and in it he has a suggestion for a way of engaging scripture. It's called Simple Contemplation. And the invitation is to enter into the story, to find yourself in the midst of the story, and to see what is revealed to you as you engage in the story. This can be a fruitful and um, generous way to engage scripture, especially with stories that we're really familiar with. And I think that this story of the gospel, the gospel story for today, is one that we've all heard a million times. Like a symphonic piece, when you're in the concert and you hear the music played, you hear all of the instruments, the complexity of the, of the music and the ways that it feeds off of each other and, and supports one another. But as you leave the concert hall, all you can really hum is the melody. And so the music can grow stale in your memory. And I think that this gospel lesson is one of those that can do the same. So I want to invite you into this little journey an experience, if you will, and um, you can give me your feedback after it about whether or not you liked it. I don't imagine making it a regular practice, but I thought we would use this time in the homily to engage in this ancient spiritual practice with this familiar story. So I'm going to take my seat, and I invite you to cast your eyes down or maybe even shut your eyes as we enter into this gospel lesson. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says, Which of you, if your child asked for bread, would give him a stone? Which of you, if your child asked for fish, would give him a snake? If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more does your Father in heaven know how to give good gifts to those who ask him? I was sitting at my desk when my younger son came in and asked for his inheritance. I wasn't really surprised by his request. He's always been a difficult child. When he was young, he forgot to say thank you and didn't demonstrate 
an attitude of gratefulness. He was hard-pressed to ever admit a fault. But I thought that he would outgrow this. As the years went on, though, he did not outgrow it. He was dismissive of all that he had been given, disregarded its value. There were times at the table when he would pick at his food and then lower the plate to the floor and let the dog eat it. Other times he would eat it ravenously and then demand seconds. I tried to give him instruction. I admonished him for his ungratefulness, for his self-centeredness. I told him that he needed to change his ways to be more appreciative of all that he has. But nothing much seemed to make a difference, and so I wasn't surprised when he came in and asked for his inheritance. It hurt me. But what was I going to do? I went through the effort of dividing up my property and gave him what is rightly his. And in a few days, he left. I was struck by grief. I found it difficult to get up in the morning. The hours of the day passed slowly, and I retired to bed way earlier than I ever have before. Slowly the days gave way to weeks, and I realized that I had to do something. And so I got up and decided that I would put my grief to work by going out and looking for him. I would stand at the edge of the property and look down the road and wait for him. As the older son, it grieved me terribly to see how my younger brother treated our father. I couldn't believe his disdain and his disregard for all that we had. It was typical that he would ask for his inheritance and leave. And I was secretly delighted to be relieved of him. He and I had never gotten along, and I had long since abandoned the relationship. But it infuriated me to see my father's grief caused by him. Even in his absence, he was wreaking havoc on our family. I tried to be mindful of my father and would go and see him at different times of the day, doing simple things like taking him a cup of water, 
bringing him the recent news of what was happening in our area, just to help him get through the day. So when he put himself to work by looking out for my brother, I thought, at least he can function. And we went about in our regular activity. And then one day, I saw people, slaves, running down from the house in eagerness. I was so excited that finally we had something good. I could tell by the ways that they ran. I started to hear the music play at the house, and I asked the slaves, what is it? What are we celebrating? And one of them told me that my brother had come back. All of the exhilaration that I'd felt, the boundlessness of my joy, did a a direct reverse. And I was plummeted into my own anger and fury. How dare he? How dare he? I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what my father would want me to do. I returned to my work, and it was there that my father found me. And I let him have it. I didn't hold back with my anger and my fury. I screamed from the top and from the depths of myself. I smashed things. I knocked things over. I tore things down. All of it was rubble anyway, as was demonstrated by him. And when I had destroyed the room, I started to cry. When my older son let go of his anger, I was not afraid. I could understand where he was coming from. And after he had destroyed the room, I saw his shoulders slump. And I heard the moan from the very center of his being, and I watched him fall to the floor, sobbing. I went over to him and picked him up and held him on my lap as best I could, this grown man. I wiped his face, and looking at him, I could see the young boy that he had been. I remember when he fit on my lap, and my arms could engulf him, when he smelled of earth and sweat. And so I said to him, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you didn't know. I'm sorry you didn't know that everything I have is yours. I didn't know that you didn't know. All you had to do is ask, and I'm sorry I forgot to tell you that. 
Everything I have is yours. In John's Gospel, at the Last Supper that Jesus has with his disciples, he takes off his outer robe and he ties a towel around his waist and he assumes the role of the servant. He takes the pitcher and the basin and he prepares to wash the disciples' feet. And he says a prayer that he wanted the disciples to hear that they might remember that they are one with him as he is one with the Father and that they are one with the Father. All that I have is yours, Jesus says. I have nothing that the Father hasn't given to me. And he goes on to pray and to pray that the disciples might know that they are one with the Father just as he is one with the Father. So in these final weeks of Lent, let our prayer be that of Jesus, that we might remember that we are one, that all that we have belongs to God, and all that God has, he shares with us. And motivated by this generous sacrificial, life-giving love. May we find ways to live it in the world, to confess our own greed, our own selfish interests, our own lack of gratitude. And by confessing that, make space to receive the grace and the mercy and the love that only God can give. Let that be our prayer as we conclude this holy season. Amen.